All right. Well, speaking of integrity, you ever tell little white lies? You know, things like, you know, sorry, I didn't text you back. My phone died. <laughs> or, hey, you? Yeah, I totally know your name. I remember you. Or I'll be there soon. I'm only five minutes away. I haven't even left yet. <laughs> your new haircut looks amazing. Man, I completely forgot about that thing that you asked me to do. My dog ate my homework. This is the best gift you've ever given me. That tasted great. I, <laughs> I can't come to work today. I'm not feeling well. No, no, those jeans don't make you look fat. <laughs> today we are at the penultimate message of our series, How to Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. We've only got one more after this one. And so in this series, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13 to help us dive deeper into the idea of loving our neighbors and what really that should look like. And so as a reminder, let's read... Um, Verses 4 through 6, 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. That's what we're going to focus on today, and we're looking at how we can exercise honesty. Honesty is having that quality of being upright, sincere, truthful with people. I believe that uh, we would all consider that a fairly noble trait, right? Being honest, being open with people. I did a word study in my Bible study software and typed in honesty, so I can see how many times the NIV used the word, um, it, the English word, and it, it only appears three times in Scripture, and it's all in the Old Testament. Now, does that mean that because the word only appears so few times that it really isn't talked about? No. Um, there are other words that get used to talk about the same idea, like trustworthiness, fairness, honorable, accurate, truth. It's funny, though. When we're talking about honesty, we tend to end up talking more about the opposite of it, right? Dishonesty, or put it a little bit more bluntly, lying. So that's where we're going to start today. Let's look first at dishonesty and what it talk, how it's described in Scripture. And to that, we really don't have to get too far into the Bible to see dishonesty rear its ugly head. In the second chapter of Genesis, we get the account of God creating humankind in Adam and Eve. And in chapter 3, we're introduced to the serpent, who is described as more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he talks with Eve, and he asks her, if God really said they mustn't eat from any tree in the garden. And she answered, well, God's direction was that they shouldn't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, or even touch it, which actually wasn't part of the command, but, or they would die. And that's when the serpent struck with his lie. He said, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman in Genesis 3, 4. It says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, later on in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the serpent is said to be Satan. 
about whom Jesus has some pretty scathing things to say in John chapter 8, verse 44, where he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar. Jesus calls him the father of lies, and we see that again from the very beginning. Because after he lied to Eve, then both Adam and Eve, they ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and and the Lord had forbidden them to do that. But the scriptures say their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and then when the Lord comes and walking through the garden, they're hiding from him. He calls out to them and, and asks them, and why are you hiding? They didn't take responsibility for what they had done. Genesis 3.12 says, the man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What's, what is this you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, they're not completely untruthful here, right? But it's not the whole truth. It's like when you catch your kids doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. Like, what's the first thing? It's like, oh, I didn't do that. It's like, yeah, I just saw you do it. <laughs> It's like, it wasn't me. When I was in high school, there was one night that I stayed out kind of late with my friends. It was the night before a doubleheader baseball game. And we did something that we shouldn't have done. However, I'm not going to tell you what we did, even though I think the statute of limitations is up um, 20-some years ago. But uh, all, all I will say is that we weren't destructive or anything. We just were someplace that we weren't supposed to be. Anyway, I thought it was awesome. Because I never did anything like that. So I thought it was cool. So I wanted to tell somebody. So I told my brother, who's older than me. And, and he is, you know, he did dumb things all the time. So I figured he thought he'd think it was cool. Um, he was just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then between games, between the doubleheader games, I'm walking through the dugout and my coach comes up. And he says, Nick, what'd you do last night? And I was like, Nothing. Probably had that terrified look on my face. I was like, nothing? And then I walked on. And he, he walked on. He was fine. He didn't, he didn't really know. But I walked out to my brother, and I was like, I hate you. Because I know he did it. And he just, he thought it was hilarious. I thought he was a jerk. Anyway, that's kind of like what this was like. Well, I didn't do anything. It's the woman that you gave me, God. She made me do it. Or I didn't do it. The serpent tricked me. He's the father of lies. It's important to God that we don't lie. So important, it's in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20.16, the Ninth Commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. False testimony is a Hebrew word for lie. You shall not lie against your neighbor. And specifically, this is like when you're testifying or giving witness against somebody else. Same phrase is used when Moses repeats the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. And then in the 19th chapter of the Old Testament book of Leviticus, the Lord gives Moses, there's a various list of laws. It's like a potpourri of laws that comes after when he tells Moses to say to all the Israelites that they should be holy because their Lord God is holy. And in here, there are such laws as don't steal, don't hate your fellow Israelites, don't curse people. And then in verse 11, there's this very simple sentence, do not lie. I don't think you can get any more clear than that. Three words, do not lie. So, there you go. 
But we do lie sometimes, right? What are some ways that we lie? We found a list of some ways. First is slander. Slander is lying about somebody specifically to damage their character. And again, this is one of Satan's tactics when he lies. Revelation 12.10 says that, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Where it says accuses, that is slandering God's people. Think about the book of Job. The opening scene is Satan before God saying that Job wouldn't continue to fear God if God would would remove all of the protection, all of God's protection from him. Now, as part of this, there's the idea of gossiping. That's when you're not just trying to slander somebody, but you're trying to spread it so other people get on board, talking about somebody behind their backs, and you're spreading falsehood about them. Gossiping's bad just when you're talking about somebody behind their backs, good or, you know, true or not, but it's really bad when you're trying to get lies to catch on. Leviticus 19.16 says, don't go about spreading slander among your people. Now, the one other way is being two-faced with people. Like in front of them, you're the nicest person ever. You're just like, hey, I'm pretty cool. But then behind their backs, you talk bad about them or you lie about them. You can see how all these kind of interrelate with each other. One of the biggest ways we lie, though, is when we lie about ourselves and our sin. One of the worst ways that we can do that is when we try and hide our sin, whether it be from others, for whatever reason, we think, you know, we're afraid of what they're going to think about us. We, you know, it's really bad, so we figure we're going to get in trouble, whatever. But when we do that, we're taking away one of the most important things that the church is supposed to be, which is a group of people who do not have it all together, walking along with each other, loving each other, praying for each other, and and helping each other walk that walk um, of the Christian life. German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, uh, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, They don't have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. Pastor Dane Ortland, in his book, Deeper, wrote that refusing to be honest with each other is works righteousness in disguise. We are believing that we need to save face, so to retain the uprightness of our appearance. Those are some ways that we're dishonest. What are the results of it? Of course, you're probably going to be found out eventually. It's going to catch up with you. I'm sure we've all been in that downward spiral at some point in our lives, maybe when we were young, or maybe you're really good and you don't lie, and so you see somebody else do it, you know, a friend. That's a lie, too, when you say it's a friend of mine that did this, but it's actually you. Let that sink in. <laughs> anyway, but you, you lie about something, and then you got to keep that lie going, and so you got to keep track of it, but then you have to lie to keep that lie going, and then, you know, so on and so forth, and it's just unsustainable. 
I'm sure you've heard the quote that gets attributed to Abraham Lincoln. You can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time. You can't fool all the people all the time. You will be found out. And if it's not with people, it will be by God. As an example of this in the book of Acts, there is this weird story about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied about how much they gave to the apostles after they sold some property. And they apparently had it all worked out between the two. But when Ananias came and he offered the money, Peter calls him on it. Acts, verse, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 3 says, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And then Ananias fell down and died. And, but look at what Peter says here. He's like, you didn't have to lie about it. Like, it was your money to do with as you please. Well, three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes in, and Peter confronts her on it. He's like, was this the, the price that you got for selling your property? And she said, yeah. You know, she lied too. And then she fell down and died. So if you lie, you're going to be found out. Now, you may not die like Ananias and Sapphira, but what you could do is you could ruin relationships, you could ruin trust that you've built with people, and more. Plus, God does not tolerate liars. Psalm 101.5 says that whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. So that ought to give us a little bit of pause before we start to lie. Put aside for a second what that's going to do with your relationship with somebody else, but what's it going to do with your relationship with God? We've got to be careful. Now, does that mean it's never okay to lie? I don't think so. Because if you think about times when people were hiding Jews from the Nazis, they were lying to protect others. Biblically, there's a story in the early chapters of Exodus when the Hebrew midwives, they were told to kill young male Hebrew babies, and they didn't, and, and they lied about it. And they were honored for that. And so that's, that's one area. There are probably others, but that's one area where I think it's probably okay to lie. It, when you are protecting somebody who's in danger. Okay, but that's enough talk about dishonesty and lying. Let's talk about honesty in the scriptures. Honesty is absolutely integral to the gospel. God himself is honest and trustworthy. 2 Samuel 7, 28, David says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you've promised these good things to your servant. The Psalms speak of God's honesty and trustworthiness. Psalm 19, 7, specifically with his law, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. And then Psalm 111, verse 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. So God his word, his law, they're all trustworthy. In John 7, Jesus talks about the Father sending him as one who is true. 
Our God is honest and true, and we can trust his word because what he says happens. He is a promise-keeping God because he cannot be any other way because of his nature, because of who he is. And so because of that, if we are to be like God, then truth and honesty should be what we strive after. Psalm 15, verses 1 through 2, ask the question of, they ask, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Paul, when he writes, he he's, talks about how he preached and how he remained truthful when preaching the gospel, even to those who might not believe. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And as with many of the traits that we've talked about in this series on how to love your neighbor, we need to put off the negative trait of lying, dishonesty, and put on the godly trait. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then in Philippians 4, verse 8, we read that wonderful passage from Paul as he writes about the things that we should be focused on. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. One amazing example of honesty in Scripture is in the person of Daniel. You know Daniel's story, right? Like he was taken captive from Jerusalem, removed to Babylon, where he and his friends were eventually placed in high positions in the Babylonian Empire. And when Darius became the king, he agreed to a decree, though, that the enemies of Daniel had suggested to him because they were trying to find ways of getting Daniel out of power. And so they were trying to find any corruption in him. And as Daniel 6.4 says, he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. The decree was that if anybody prayed to any god or human other than King Darius, they were going to be thrown into the lion's den. Well, Daniel learned about that decree, and so what did he do? Well, he went to go pray to God, giving thanks to God as he had done so many times before. And that got him arrested, he got him thrown into the lion's den, but he remained unharmed because the Lord protected him. As Jerry Bridges writes, Daniel was not corrupt. He was honest, ethical, and principled. Absolute honesty in speech and in personal affairs has to be the hallmark of a faithful person. And that leads me to one other person who exemplifies honesty, and that is, of course, Jesus. In his first letter, Peter writes, 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Even the Pharisees, when they were trying to trap him one time, they said in Matthew twenty two sixteen, they sent their disciples along with the Herodians and the teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. 
Now, they're just trying to flatter him, right? Because they're trying to butter him up so they can catch him out on something. But what they're actually doing is testifying to who Jesus really is. John 1.14, John writes that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. God became flesh, became human to dwell among us. He who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, one of the most important things about Jesus and truth comes from one of the last few interactions that he had with his disciples before his arrest. He's comforting them and he's telling them about the place that he is preparing for them when he leaves. And he says that they know the way to where he's going. And that prompts Thomas, and I love Thomas, who says in John 14, 5, well, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then verse 6, Jesus answers, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the truth. The full truth about the Father, it's only found in him. God, he is God revealed to us in flesh. When Philip asks them, asks him to show them the Father in verse 9, he answers, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority or on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So let's finish up today, and we'll look at how we can live this life of honesty. As I studied, I found that there are two aspects to honesty. There's really a horizontal aspect to it. Honesty between ourselves, between each other, us and other people. But then there's a vertical aspect to it, and that's being honest with God. Thomas Jefferson once wrote that honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. So how can we be honest with each other? Well, first, we don't want to be double-sided. We don't want to be two-faced. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Say what you mean. The second thing is that you want to think before you speak. And maybe memorize Psalm 1914 and use it as a quick prayer before you talk. Where it says this, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That might stop you. <laughs> think before you speak. To help with that is the third thing. It's just this. As you think, so you will be. What comes out is typically what you are. So if you're going to live honestly, honestly then you've you got to start that on the inside. And that starts with God changing your heart softening your heart so that you can change your mind. The fourth thing is learn to be disciplined. Discipline yourself to speak the truth. If you speak something dishonest, if that happens, then just stop, repent, and, and correct yourself. Really try and totally live in the truth. Now, that does make me want to offer a little warning just because you're starting to speak the truth doesn't mean that you always have to say something. You know, what, what do your moms say? You know, it's 
If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. <laughs> that might be good. Let me illustrate this. I had a friend of mine who offered to cook me dinner one night when I was visiting, and, and when she said what she was cooking, I wasn't super excited about it, but I am also, I can be a little picky. And the few, those that know me <laughs> know that that's true. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I was going to eat it because there are certain things that will get me to try food. And so I was going to eat it. Anyway, we ate, and then she asked me how I liked it. I could have been disciplined. I could have thought before I spoke. But no, no. I said, well, I mean, it wasn't the best thing I've ever had. I know. <laughs> I know. Look, I could have said I enjoyed it. I could have said I would have eaten it again because those were true. But no, I'm an idiot. Anyway, <laughs> the last thing <laughs> comes from James 1.19. It's a good thing to remember anyway. It's that be quick to listen, slow to speak. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. That's the horizontal aspect of honesty. The vertical aspect is being honest with God. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm specifically thinking about our honesty with God as we pray and, and with regard to our sin. We, are, we need to be honest with ourselves in that if we sin, we recognize that what we're doing is sinning and we need to repent from that. And then we need to be honest with God in confessing that sin to him and actually actually repenting from it, turning away from it. And, and why would we not be honest with God? Why would we ever try to hide from him like Adam and Eve did in the garden? He already knows he's God. Think about it like a parent. Lots of parents, they know what you did already, right? But... They just want you to be honest with them. That's what God wants. God wants you to be honest with him about it. And he promises, there is a promise that he will forgive you if you confess. He promises to forgive you and we know that God is truthful and he's going to come through with that promise. That doesn't mean that there won't be consequences from it. There may be correction that gets made. But like a loving parent, know that God still loves you and it's that love that is, it's an infinite love that we cannot even understand or comprehend. We need to exercise honesty in our lives. I'm going to close out with just a little short quote from um, the former Indianapolis head coaches, uh, Tony Dungy, his mom. He wrote this in his book that his mom would tell him this when he was younger. And I'm sure other moms tell their kids sometimes easier to do the wrong thing. It's always better to do the right thing. That includes lying. Don't lie. Just follow Leviticus 19. <laughs> do not lie. Be honest, especially with God. That is a way that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. Would you pray with me as we close out? Heavenly Father, Lord, this can be a hard thing because honesty is not necessarily high in demand in our culture at times.
I don't even know how to continue my prayer now. <laughs> I'm just going to say yes, that, that, is, that is right. Thank you, Lord, for acknowledging that. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're, we don't want to lie. We're going to come to the time in our service now where we, we come before your table, Lord, that you uh, implemented so many years ago as, uh, as a remembrance of the sacrifice that you made in your son, Jesus the, the juice that is the blood that was spilt, the bread that is the body that was broken, nailed to a cross. And it was because you loved us with that everlasting love, that love that surpasses all of our understanding. Lord, that is why we follow you. It is because you love us and, and you want us to be with you. And, and we need you, Lord. We so need you. And we thank you for that sacrifice that was made because it is the only way that we're going to be able to come home to you. Father, we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.